Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Well, today's message is the third message in our series, The Four Promises. And uh, in this series, we're talking about four promises that God makes to us, and it, they first occur in the book of Exodus chapter 6. And you'll find these, these promises kind of woven throughout Scripture, and, uh, but they're kind of first revealed in the book of Exodus, and then we're going to read that in, in uh, chapter 6 here in just a moment. But uh, all the promises we're going to read about in this series, they have their fulfillment in Christ. So we'll experience the, full, the fullness of these, promise, these promises when we come into relationship with Christ. So let's look at Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. You say, well, there's five I wills, but essentially four and five are one and the same. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the, under the yoke of the Egyptians. So God made these promises to the Israelites, these four promises, while they were slaves in Egypt. However, God could not fulfill those promises while the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. So God gives the Israelites these promises. He can't deliver upon them like he wants. So what does he do? He sends uh, to the Israelites in Egypt Moses. And of course, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he utters these famous words. God says what? Let my people go. Let my people go. Of course, we know Pharaoh refuses. So God responds by sending a plague upon the Egyptians. It has no effect on the Israelites. And the scenario happens 10 times. The tenth and final plague, of course, is the granddaddy of them all. And uh, God would allow the death angel to pass over Egypt, smite the firstborn male of every house. The only way the Israelites could escape uh, this plague was to follow the instructions that God gave to Moses. And God instructed the Israelites to do this, slaughter a male lamb, a yearling, without spot or blemish, take some of its blood, paint it over the top and the sides of the, the doors of the home, and when the death angel comes to, to that home to, to smite the firstborn, he'll see the blood of the lamb, and he will pass over. So that's where we get the term, or the, the, the feast uh, the Jews celebrate called Passover. As a result of this plague, we know Pharaoh releases the Israelites from slavery, and they miraculously uh, escape the Egyptians as God parts the waters of the Red Sea, and they pass through the other side. It's a great story. Say, what in the world does this have to do with the four promises we're talking about in this series? I'm glad you asked. So in Exodus chapter 12, God instructed the Israelites to commemorate this event every year with a feast called Passover. And for 3,500 years, the Jews have been celebrating Passover to commemorate this event. And uh, on the first, and just kind of put it in perspective, uh, on the first night of Passover, there's a meal. There's a, the Passover Seder. And they have a meal together, and Jewish people and their families, they, they gather together and they celebrate the Passover. And this is the same meal Jesus celebrated with his disciples on the night he was betrayed. And historically, we call it the Last Supper, but essentially it is the Passover. 
So a Passover, at the Passover meal, there were certain kind of foods. There still are that are on the table. They commemorate the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. And most of the foods that are on the Passover table today were, are the same foods that were on the table when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples. For example, there are four cups of wine that are on the table that would have been on the table when Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples. And the four cups of wine symbolize the four promises that God made to the Israelites while they were in Egypt. You say, again, what does this have to do with the four promises? What does this all have to do with us today? Again, I'm glad you asked that question. Because in Christ, we experience the fulfillment of these four promises. God made these promises 3,500 years ago to the Israelites, but again, they have their fulfillment in Christ. How do I know that? Well, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So Jesus is our Passover. He's called the Lamb of God. He is our Passover. His death, his burial, his resurrection gives us access to these promises, and we can experience their fulfillment because of Jesus is our Passover Lamb. So last week, I spoke to you about the first promise, and the first promise is memorialized in the first cup, and the first cup is called the cup of sanctification. And God would allow, uh, God would not deliver uh, these promises while the Israelites were in bondage. So while they were suffering as slaves, he could not and he would not deliver on those promises while they were slaves. That's why the first promise is so important. God has to bring them out of Egypt as slaves. So in, for, in order to God to deliver on the next three promises, he first has to bring them out. And so likewise, God will not God will not fulfill these four promises in our lives unless we come out of our bondage to sin. Our salvation experience separates us from the, the dominion of our sin. So for us, when we look at this story, Egypt represents our life before Christ. It represents the time we lived our lives in bondage to our own sin. So for God to uh, deliver these promises to us, our salvation experience is so important. It's what takes us out of Egypt, so to speak. It's what takes us out from under the bondage of our own sin. When you look at this story, if you're familiar with it, you know this. While God brought the, the Israelites out of Egypt as slaves, they were free. When they're in the wilderness, there's, there's no more taskmasters. There's no one beating on them. They're, they're no one else's property. They're free. But we know this. They aren't free. Because while they're physically free, Egypt has a hold of them. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt was still inside of them. And likewise, many of us, we experience this first promise. We come to Jesus, we experience salvation. God sets, sets us apart from our sin. He brings us out. But we get to this place where we never fully enjoy the second promise. I'm going to show you what I mean by that here in just a moment. We often come out of our slavery to sin. We're out of the bondage of sin. But how many of you have had this happen? While we're saved from our sins, we still struggle with sin. We still, none of us are perfect in here. Not one of us. So while we experience salvation, God sets us apart, we still deal with things. Let's go back to the promises and look at verse 6. Just look at the first two for just a moment. Just to make sure that we understand they're, they're two separate promises. I mean, again, the Jews have been celebrating this, these promises for 3,500 years. Uh, they understand there are separate promises. But look, look at Exodus 6, 6. Therefore say to the Israelites... I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. 
And then again, that's sanctification, set apart. God brings you out from under the bondage of your own sin. So I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and then I will free you from being slaves to them. So that's the promise that God's making in this second cup. I will, first, I will bring you out, and then again, the first is different from the second promise. The second promise is, I will free you. I will set you free. So here's the question I want you to consider this morning. Are you free? Are you free? So this is not a question about your salvation. It's a question about your freedom. So just hang on to that question throughout this message. Are you free? So while, while, my, while some of us may be saved and we love Jesus and he's brought us out from the bondage of our sin, many of us won't be able to say, I am living free. But I got good news for you. We can live free. Why do I know that? Because God's made us a promise. God's not going to make us a promise that he can't deliver upon. God's not going to make us a promise that is out of reach. So we can experience freedom. The second cup of wine at Passover meal, representing the second promise, is called the cup of deliverance. And deliverance is obviously a word that sometimes gets confused in Christian circles. Deliverance happens when we are being rescued or set free. And just from a, a biblical perspective, biblical deliverance refers to God delivering, delivering us out of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual bondage. When Jesus began his public ministry, I just want you to think about this. So after he, he fasts and he prays for 40 days, and he's tempted by the devil, he succeeds, he overcomes, and the angels minister to him, he leaves that place in the wilderness, he goes back to Galilee, he ends up going to the synagogue in Nazareth, he goes in on the Sabbath, and this is the beginning of his public ministry. Now, don't you think the first words he's going to say are very important words? And, and it is, because he goes into the synagogue, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. Of course, we know that Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ. Look what Jesus says. Here's what he did. He, he opens up the scroll, he's in the synagogue, and he reads. And this is recorded in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Look at this. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. He reads from the scroll, he closes it, and he sits down and he announces to everyone in the synagogue with these words. Luke 4.21, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now listen, what's he talking about? He is talking about deliverance. He is talking about being set free. It's a promise. It's a promise that God first makes to the Israelites, and it's one that continues and has its fulfillment in Christ. While none of us are physically enslaved, we do come out from the bondage of our sin, but even though God brings us out, we still have things we deal with, and God wants to give us freedom in those areas. So as Messiah, as Christ, Jesus says this to us at the beginning of his ministry. I will set you free. I will free you. So Jesus wants to save us from the penalty of our sins. Thank God. But that's where most people stop. Listen, the promises go beyond that. He not only wants you to be free from the penalty of your sins, he wants you to live free. So the Israelites in the wilderness, they're, they're making their way to the promised land. Again, they're physically free. They're no more in shackles, but 
there's some things, there are some issues that are holding them back. And we see it bubble up from time to time. In fact, anytime they hit adversity, anytime there's trials, anytime there's difficulty, they react from the flesh. Remember, God has done all these incredible miracles for them. I mean, they've seen plagues that have affected the Egyptians but had no, no effect upon them. They've seen the, God part the waters of the Red Sea. He's, they've seen manna come from heaven, bread from heaven, quail from out from nowhere. They have chicken and biscuits all they want. I mean, it's just amazing. Water from a rock. I mean, you name it, God did it. But every time there's some adversity, and this is true for our walk with God. See, we can, we can fake it while things are good. We can pretend like everything is fine and dandy, but when life happens, that's when the proof's in the pudding, right? And that's what takes place here. So let's not look down our long religious noses at these folks when we read this story. Exodus 11, verses 11 through 12. And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? <laughs> it's just amazing. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Again, God did miracle after miracle on the, on the, on the part of these folks. But it just shows that while they are physically free, they are still under some type of, of, of bondage. They're under some type of restriction. They're not experiencing the freedom that is available to them. God set them out of Egypt. He set them apart. But they're not walking in the freedom that God is making available to them. And as absurd as this sounds to us, it is so real and so familiar. This is why Jesus says this in John 8, 36. Therefore, if, if, man, that's such a powerful little word in that, in that verse. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He's promising us freedom, not just salvation. Thank God for salvation, amen? But he's promised us an abundant life, life abundantly. Why do we want to stop at salvation when he promises us more? If the Son sets us free from our sin, then... We should be able to live free. Please hear me when I say this, and I don't want anyone to get confused about this. That doesn't mean you're perfect. If perfection is your, is your goal, I'm gonna, I want to let you down easy. It's not going to happen. Here's why. Because we're flesh. We have a sinful nature. We have to deal with daily. We've got to put it to death on a daily basis. So we're not trying to attain perfection. When we get to heaven, God will take care of all that, amen? But we will have struggles, so don't get confused with this, please. Look what John, uh, John writes, 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the second promise is not about being perfect, it's about living free. Boy, I think in this world we get these two things confused. We don't understand that, well, I thought it's the same. It's not, and I'll show you why it's not the same. Many of us are out of Egypt, but Egypt still has a hold on us, and we aren't living in freedom, but God promises us freedom. So if Jesus has set you free, he has set you free to do this, to live out God's promises and purposes for your life. He created you with a plan and a purpose. When you get saved, you can enter into that plan into its fullness. You can live out what God has, has designed for you to live. 
So if, you're, if you keep going, how, so, okay, so how do I know if I'm living free or not? This, this is real simple, okay? If you keep going down the same path, making the same decisions, making the same poor decisions, repeating the same habits, repeating the same bad practices, something has got a hold of you in that area of your life. And that's the area of your life you really need to attack. Because listen, there are going to be times where we mess up, where we slip up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when something is reoccurring. So I want to put your mind at ease and let you know that this, that, that every person in here is going to struggle with, with similar issues. Similar issues as the Apostle Paul. Look what Paul writes in Romans 7, 15. He says, I don't really understand myself. Again, Paul's writing this. I don't really understand myself for what I, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 16, but if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. Verse 17, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, does that not sound familiar to any of us here this morning? Paul, I think we look at Paul, he's not writing this from a different perspective. He is writing this from a personal perspective. Just because Paul is an apostle doesn't mean he's perfect. Sometimes we take these people out of the Bible. Other than Jesus, they are imperfect people. Think about the people that God uses. These people, so sometimes we tend to glorify them so much that they're out of touch with who we are. When I read this, I read a man who is struggling in areas of his life. Do we know where this ends? When we just kind of pretend everything's okay when it's not. Do we, do we understand where this really ends? Where we have issues, we have things we're dealing with in our life, we're not experiencing freedom, but we just kind of go through the motions. Here's where it ends. It ends with frustration. It ends with apathy. It ends with complacency. It's a dead-end religious road, and unfortunately, too many of us get on that road, and we just keep going down to it, to finally we come to this place and say, is this what it's all about? Is this what Christianity is all about? I mean, I go to church, I do this and I do that, but nothing's really changing in this area of my life. Is this really what it's all about? Has anybody else been there before? Jesus said this, John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Pastor, I know Jesus. He's my savior. That's great. Praise God for it, right? But are you walking in freedom? Are you really walking in the freedom that is available to you? If not, then why are you settling for anything less than God's promised best? So what does freedom look like? Well, Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 2. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life sets you free from the law of sin and death. So for in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of, of life sets you free from the law of sin and death. So when we are born again, God separates us from that dominion of our sinful nature. Before you got saved, your sinful nature was calling the shots. In fact, you, you really had, you could try to, to press against it, 
but it would always come back because it has dominion. Because why? Because you were in bondage to it. Every one of us, in bondage to the dominion of our sinful nature. We try to do good, but it just bad pushes back. Our flesh pushes back. So when you get saved, <coughs> excuse me, God sets you apart from that dominion. He gives you freedom. Now, it's just like this, like the Israelites. They were free, but they had to walk in their freedom. It's the same for you and I. Jesus sets you free when you got saved, but now you've got to walk in that freedom. But in Christ, we're able to, we're set free, and we're allowed to let Jesus call the shots in our lives. We're no longer forced to be under the dominion of our flesh. And unfortunately, so many people in the body of Christ, they have perver perverted what freedom means, what it means to be free in Christ. And I'm sure some of you have run into this before. But they view freedom this way. I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want. As long as my conscience, have you heard this, is okay, uh, then God's okay with it. And that's true freedom. I'm not going to allow my conscience to, to get in the way and, it, and allow me of enjoying something that God wants me to enjoy. Can I tell you what? If your conscience allows you to have, commit adultery, is that really okay? I mean, come on, where does this end? So there's a perverted view of grace. And I understand our walk with God is personal and everyone is at different stages. And I believe God's grace is sufficient. He's patient. He's merciful. He understands that where, where you're at, I may not be there. Okay? I understand that. We're at different places. God recognizes that. He understands. But there are some standards, some righteous standards. So that's not what freedom is. True freedom in Christ looks like this. I don't have to live for Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. Can I tell you, if you are under this, this guiding idea that I have to live for Jesus, that's a good indication you're probably not living free in areas of your life. See, it's this, I want to live for Jesus. Because of my relationship with Christ, I never want to go back to my old ways. That's true freedom. That is true freedom. I don't want to go back to where I was. The law says I had to do this, but today I'm saved and I want to live a life that pleases God. So when we experience freedom in Christ, we're no longer driven by the have-tos or the want-tos. We're driven by, I get to. I get to live for God. I get to glorify Jesus. Why? Because we're born again. When you're born again, you're a new person. You're a new creation. God gives you a new heart with new desires. But you have flesh to contend with. And that's where the battle is. So without the grace of God, none of us could be saved. However, people since the early days of Christianity have perverted, have had a perverted view of grace. Paul talks about this, Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Sin, 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 so I get more and more grace? No. Look at what he says. Certainly not. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Why would you want to live in Egypt when God parted the Red Sea for you to go through, what, 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 what do you want to do? He's not going to part the sea back for you either. You've got to swim across it. You've got to go back, and you say, come on, put the chains around me. There's a, there's a matter of free will there, too. So unfortunately, there are people who have encountered another Jesus. They've believed a different gospel. They think they are free when, in fact, they are still bound in Egypt. And it's very, very sad. So when a person is truly born again, they don't walk away from their encounter with Jesus trying to get as close to the world 
and not fall over into it. No, that's, that's not new birth. That's not salvation. I don't know about you. When I got saved, I don't want to get close to that edge anymore. I want to stay as far away as possible from it. So I just, again, I just look at the evidence sometimes. The evidence, the proof, the fruit is this, that when I see people that just are dangerously close, just living there and celebrating it, that, that something is just not right in my spirit. It just doesn't line up with Scripture. Because I don't know to you again, the Jesus I encountered set me free. He saved me. And I realized it. I realized I was going to hell. I was going down the wrong path. And I don't want to go there anymore. And again, I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I can't earn the grace of God. The grace of God speaks to me in this way. You don't have to live that way anymore. There's a better way. There's a better life. I'll choose that life. So promise one, I'll bring you out. Promise two, I will set you free. Are you free? Many of us, we're, we're trying to, to get as far away as Egypt as possible, but Egypt still has an influence. And that's what we're talking about here today. Like the Israelites traveling through the wilderness, and they, they run into these little bumps and these little hiccups, and they, they have these encounters that are not positive, and it brings out the worst in them. And it shows, it shows, what, it, it shows what's keeping them bound. Likewise, same thing happens to us. We hit these little bumps along the way, and something arises. And it just reminds us, and it's just an old pattern we get into, an old habit, an old reaction, whatever it is. So we're not experiencing the freedom that we should. And what happens is when those things happen, I don't know about you, but when I encounter those things, it just bothers me. It just eats my lunch. You know, I, I haven't done this for years. I haven't thought this for years. I haven't said this for years. And why now is it coming up? And then if it just comes up every, you know, so often, it's not, it's not a big deal. But if, when it comes up continuously, consistently, there's a problem. And God wants to set us free from those areas of our lives. You know, every one of us, again, have these areas, me included. I probably have more than you. But I don't know about you, if Jesus promises me freedom, then I want that freedom. So remember, I'm not asking a question about your salvation. But I'm telling you this, if you keep repeating certain behaviors, habits, attitudes, over and over and over, you're not free. You're just not free. Statistically speaking, churches give, give us some, you know, we give some good statistics we believe as much as 80% of people aren't living free the way they should. 80%. I think it's sad. I, I think that I'm included in that group. When God has made me a promise, and I'm not, I'm not experiencing that promise. And there's nothing wrong with God. He's not broken. The promise isn't broken. It's me. It's my flesh. So what I'm trying to do here today is really exp kind of expose the thing that keeps us from experiencing freedom. And are you ready? It's very simple. In order to experience true freedom, it requires Humility. Humility. A humble heart. Let me show you how this, this works. See, often we find it difficult to be humble because we're so religious. Look at Romans 8.1. Therefore, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, we know this. We can look at that verse and say, you know, immediately... If you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to find any condemnation. You're going to walk in true freedom. But let's just focus on condemnation for just a moment. Because I believe condemnation is something that we, especially in this area of the United States, deal with immensely. Okay? Just an incredible burden of condemnation. Condemnation fuels a religious mindset. And here's how it looks. Here are the actions. Everything looks good on the outside. We go to church. Praise the Lord. How you doing? 
are you doing today? I'm doing great. No, you're not. You're lying through your teeth. We know how to fake it. We know how to put on the right clothes. We know how to do the right thing. We can walk through those doors and everything's good. We can walk right outside those doors and no, it's not. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Here's why. Because we don't like condemnation. We don't like the shame that condemnation brings. We don't like the vulnerability. We don't want to be exposed. You know, this is just pride. That's all it is. That's why, again, if you're going to experience the fullness of this promise, it's going to begin with humility. Again, we go to church, we talk the talk, we walk the walk, we smile, pretend everything's okay, but we know how to turn it on and we know how to turn it off. And in fact, when, you, when we do this, we all know this, what does it make us feel like? Phonies, fakes. And if you've got a strong inner critic, boy, it points it out. Church, we all, we all, all have issues. If you, if you try to pretend there are no issues, you're just, you're being foolish. You're, you're sending yourself down the wrong road. You know, if I were to stand here before you today and give you all my issues, you probably wouldn't be back next week. You said, that guy's messed up. But remember this, I'd say, let's hear yours now. See, we all have issues. And the, the sooner we can realize that, the sooner we can own that, the freer you're going to be. Again, denying the problem exists is a major issue. For those of you who have difficulty dealing with those issues, honestly, you're going to stay in the desert a little bit longer. A little longer than what God intended for you. But there will be a day where you're like, I'm sick and tired of going on the merry-go-round. It's, I'm just tired. God has promised me freedom. I'm going to experience freedom. And praise God, I hope that's your, that's my prayer for you today. So if we don't humble ourselves, we will find it near impossible. And I will just say this, because I don't like to say impossible, but near impossible, but I believe it's probably impossible to experience true freedom without humility. Why is that? Because God gives grace to the humble. He resists the pride of the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, Jesus, think about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Bring her to Jesus. Does he condemn her? No. But he does go and say this, go and sin no more, right? But if he condemns her, She's not going to walk in that freedom. He's, the door's closed. See, this is what the flesh does to us. Jesus showed her grace, said, go and sin no more. Condemnation, shame, and fear of being exposed or view in a different light will keep you in chains. Romans 8, verses 5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So, how, what we set our minds upon are, is so important. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We have a real spiritual enemy. He's the devil. We live in a fallen world. But too often, the real enemy that we face is the six inches between our ears. Therefore, whatever we allow or entertain into our minds can often become the biggest hurdle for experience and freedom. And I'm not going to try to be the Holy Spirit for you today. That's not my job. But I will say this. What we listen to, what we see with our eyes, who we hang out with, the things that we do, all will, will, will all play a part into our freedom or our lack of freedom. And I would just say this. While it's important to be a witness to lost people, who we hang out with is vitally important. Who you surround yourself with you and I have to have real relationships 
within the body of Christ. They are vital to your freedom. They are vital to your growth. Look at this, Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, here's how we one-sided religious folks like to read that verse. That means this, that who, I conceal my sin, so I'm just going to reveal my sin to God, and that's good enough. And I get that. That's because, listen, none of us like our junk to be out exposed, do it. I mean, I mean, we're not crazy, and I understand that. We don't parade our, our, our junk around, but I am saying this. If you're the only one who knows your secrets, you're not free. You're just not. Well, my, my spouse knows. I'm prob- you're probably still not free because they knew it all along. See, we understand the importance of confessing our sins to God, but we tried to bypass something that was equally important, confessing our sins and sharing our shortcomings with one another. And I know, again, this may make some of you uncomfortable, but if you're not experiencing freedom, this is probably a missing component. So what we're finding is this, and it's, it really goes back to a model that is established in Scripture, to have a, a community of faith within the community. You know, the early church met in small groups. There was power in those small groups. What we do here is very important. Very, it's vital. So again, small groups are important because you can break down things and say, hey, you learn that, okay, I can trust this person or this person is going through something similar or they've been through it. We can pray for one another. There's something powerful in that. So that's how we can fulfill this scripture. Look at this. Uh, James writes this, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Again, and maybe you're not experiencing freedom because we're unwilling to share our struggles. Could it be that we just struggle to experience this freedom because maybe of that reason alone? Why? Because we don't want to be humble. I'll humble myself before God, but that's not what the Scripture says, though. Confess your sins to one another. To one another. God made this promise to us over 3,500 years. It was freedom. Jesus came so that we could experience freedom. It's a promise. All heaven, it's for you. God wants you, and he wants you and I to experience freedom. If we don't experience true freedom, it's going to hinder us in the next two promises. I'm going to close by asking you two questions. Number one is this. Simply, are you born again? Are you born again? Have you repented of your sins? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? Has Jesus brought you out of Egypt? If not, then experience the first promise today. At the close of the message, we'll pray together. Give your life to Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Let him bring you out of Egypt. Really, the prayer we say is important, but it's really not that. It's the dedication you're going to make today, the commitment that you make to Christ today. That you know what? I'm done of being stuck in Egypt. I'm coming out. God set me apart. I I want to live the life you've called me to live. God promises to bring you out from the dominion of your sinful desires, and he will do that for you. Number two, are you free? And that's probably going to be the question most of you need to address here this morning. Am I free? If you're born again, born again, praise God for that. God set you apart, but now God wants you free. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day 
as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.